How you guys doing today? That's pretty good for normal uh, compared to normal. <clears throat> um, well, hey, welcome to the remnant. My name's Todd. I'm the pastor here. I don't just say it for you guys. Todd, we know who you are. There's people watching. Could be their first time. Now I've ruined the illusion. So uh, I'm really excited about today. Except today was weird. Um, it's one of those days. Beautiful sunny day. No one's people aren't really in a bad mood, but there's just constant anxiety. You all are a ball of anxiety, uh, right? And um, me too today. My, I, I call it like my mind gets scattered and I can't focus. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think those are the times that we probably need to pay attention the most, right? We need to push through and be present in the moment. And I'm not just talking about that because you're here, though you are here. So, but also, um, yeah, just for you. Today we're going to start actually with, with a verse, a section, one of my favorite sections in the New Testament, in the Gospels. In my favorite book of the gospel. Isn't that crazy, Josh? I've been told that, I'm, that when I say your guys' name on the camera, it embarrasses you. Is this true? They don't know who you are. That's how I look at it. So, right? Anyway, if you have your Bibles, turn me to the gospel of John, chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 2 through 9. So, Jesus, you know who he is. He's with his, his pals, his compadres. He's going around, and he is... Um, he goes up for a festival, and while he's at this festival, he makes a stop by this pool. And we're going to pick up there. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnade, column, colonnades, colonnades. You know what those are, right? Columns. Are you with me today, guys? Do I need to throw up a, a podium or something to shake this up? Are you with me, Trent? Okay. Man, here we go. This is why I need a squirt gun. I see why the pastors use the squirt guns, because it keeps your attention. All right, in these, so these columns, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, couldn't walk. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Pretty cool little background info on this before I go on. You're probably saying, well, why is he waiting to go to get in a pool? Well, they believed that this pool was, <laughs> this pool was, uh, was touched by an, an angel, and then the water would stir up, and then if they could get to it, they would be healed. Interestingly, I found this out recently, actually it had been built for pagan use, and they said that this other god had come down and would stir the water, and then the Jews just adopted it and said, oh, or the people were like, this, it's an angel, um, which it was probably just like what? One of their aqueducts, or their, their, I know I'm not an engineer. Whatever shoots the water up, right? So he's waiting there, and that's why he's waiting. He's, he's trying to get to the water when it's stirred up. This is one of my favorite, I'm not exaggerating, for impact. This is my, one of my favorite stories in the entire Gospels. And a lot of you hear me say it so much that you're already doing the thing that AJ said where you're disappearing. And I think this is, this is a very, very important thing. And I will say, maybe I need to say this to the remnant folk that are here today. I believe, though it wasn't written for any specific purpose, this is 100% where our church is at today, what I'm about to tell you today. So some of you, you'll be like, man, is he talking to me? Probably am. Or genuinely, I probably am. Because it's kind of where our, our, our church is as a culture. 
You'll see. So I would encourage you to, if you're going to do your zone out thing, you might as well go sit in a foyer. At least there you don't have to pretend to listen, right? Because I'm really good with my eyes. I can see. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, one of my favorite stories, and I love it because we get all this background, this guy's sitting here, and you just imagine Jesus walks in, P.S., cool time, is that at the festival, he just walks right in where the priests are. People always say, how did he know? How do you know? You know where are these priests at? And he just walks right in. Right? There, were t- he, there's, there are times that he wanted them to see. And we know that because of what comes after, because they start accusing him of healing on the Sabbath, and that's a sin. Anyway, he walks in, and picture this. This guy's here for 38 years. He has not walked. Okay? And he's sitting at this pool that he believes, if it's possible I could get there while the water's still stirred, I can be healed. So he's been doing this. I don't know. I don't know how long this, maybe it's 38 years. Maybe it's 30 years, 25. doesn't matter. It was a long time. Hard to get to the pool, though, when you can't walk. And Jesus comes up, and he says, do you want to be healed? Now, everyone's like, that's beautiful, and it is. But I want you to put yourself there. Remember, you haven't walked for 38 years. You're sitting in the area that might heal people by a pool, right? This pool, clearly I'm here for a reason. He says, do you want to be healed? He didn't ask him about his circumstances. He didn't ask him what happened to his legs. He didn't ask him if he was sad. He didn't ask him if he was mad. He didn't ask him if he was um, upset. He didn't ask him any of those things. He didn't say, is it tough to get to the water? He didn't say, man, are you lonely? He didn't say anything. He just asked him a simple question. He cuts to the heart, to the real need, and the real question that needed to be asked do you want to be healed? It shows the heart and goal of Jesus. And his response is, he doesn't even answer the question. He gives what? His excuse. Why couldn't I get to the pool? Well, I couldn't get to the pool because there's no one here to take me there. And um, I have no one to put me in the pool. Hmm, putting it on someone else. Well, if only people would help me. No one takes me to the pool. And so... And while I'm going there, another one gets there before me because, what, maybe they're selfish. If they really saw, they would let me go first. Do you want to be healed? He responds with an excuse. And I can just imagine how some of you in this room today, and you guys in the camera, but mainly in this room today, how you would respond. How dare you ask me that? How dare you? This is my wound. Can't you see what I'm doing? Isn't it obvious that I want to be healed? I'm trying. Are you? Why are you so defensive? He doesn't say that, of course. Some of us in this room would have been so offended we would have missed the moment. Your life's so hard, you can't sit still, you can't do this, you can't do that. Sometimes we've wrestled with something so long, 38 years, right? Before we all sit in judgment on this guy, that's why I brought you up. Why don't you think about that for 38 years not walking and somebody comes and says, do you want to be healed? That's not even realistic. It's like me coming up to you, Todd, you know, and I go, hey, you want a million dollars? What does it matter? You ain't going to give me a million dollars. It's not what I asked. 
Sometimes we've wrestled with something so long, like this invalid. A situation, a sin. (gasps) Yeah, the stuff that you do wrong. And sometimes the stuff that's done to you. Shame, hurt, brokenness. It happens, it's happened so long ago and we've wrestled with it so long and we've just learned to deal with ways, like we develop ways to deal with it. I've told this story billions of times. You're close to me. Sorry, people on camera probably aren't close to me. I was at a counselor. I was explaining to him, and I'm, you know, I'm this guy. Because he's talking to me, and I say, I'm explaining how I feel, and I go, I know that's not rational, because I am. I'm intelligent. I know, right? That's what I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of you. And he says, yeah, Todd, listen, no, actually, you're completely wrong. He goes, the way that you act and behave is completely rational. It's just not healthy. Based on the circumstances that you grew up in, the things that happened to you, whatever, it's completely rational for you to respond the way you are, but it's not healthy for you or other people. That blew my mind. We've developed ways to deal with it. You all have. You have brokenness. You have sin. You have hurts. You have things that are wrong with you. You don't admit it to other people, though, because that's one of the ways you deal with it. See, sin is only sin if you are the one that brings it up. Issues are only issues if you're the one to bring it up. So we develop these ways to deal with it. Most of the time, I don't think it's mean or evil or anything. It's you're trying to survive. We give up being forgiven and restored and healed, and we lock this thing, whatever this dark thing is, and we lock it away. You see, our lives are like houses. I really think about this a lot. I get to talk to a lot of people. I'm very thankful for that. And what I've learned is like people, that you're like houses. And we all have these areas we invite people into. Hey, you can come, Joneses, to my dining room. And we can have dinner together. And I will talk to you about sports and life. And maybe, you know, maybe the fact that, you know, works hard today. And then, hey, I'll take you to the living room. Let's go to the living room. And now we can laugh and joke. Watch TV. Hey, in case of spouses, hey, let's go to my bedroom, right? You'll even take them into your bedroom. See, I'm being intimate with you. Here, here I am, bare. But all the while, we're shuffling people past the other rooms. We stop, right? Maybe even our spouse, and we stop, and we say, what's in this closet? Nothing, nothing, keep moving. What's in this room? Nothing. Some of you scream when someone asks. You yell, you accuse. The rooms that don't have any light in them. All the lights in the house are on. What's what's this place? The closets, we hide our shame and our hurts and the sins we've done and the sins that have been done to us. We jam them into these closets and we lock the door and we keep it closed and locked And even though it's in a house, we can't tear that room out. We just ignore it, and we shuffle people past it. And how dare anyone ask you what's behind that door? Didn't I take you to my living room? Didn't I take you to my dining room? How dare you ask me what's behind this door? How dare you? Do you want to be healed? Oh, nothing behind this door. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving. Some of you are really friendly about it. No, everything's fine. Come on. 
That's me trying to schmooze like Blake. It never works. Hey, come on, right? Sorry, Blake. That's not what it looks like. It looks way better. Anyway, because that's why yours works and mine doesn't, right? He's a gift. I call it the schmooze. But anyway, hey, come on. I'm like, yeah, I guess we can go, right? Some of you are funny. Look at me dance. And you do your, your juggling routine. And some of you are bullies. Get out of here now. Okay, man, my bad. And some of you will deflect by saying, by hurting yourselves. Look at me, I'm hurt. You're making me hurt myself by looking at this. Because it feels safer. But we feel alone and we don't get to have the full intimacy of someone knowing all of us. You see, that's the root of a lot of people thinking they're unlovable. Even to their spouse. The bottom line is, you can say what you want. It's because you don't think if you showed them what's in that closet, they'd still love you. You don't think if you showed the, your best friend, the person in your church, if you did, if, it, it doesn't matter. If you, if you show it, they won't love you anymore. And in fact, they may go a step farther. They may cast you out. Get out of my life. Why is it that we say those words, certain words, we call ourselves in our head monster, disgusting? Where do you think that comes from? That's what, you, that's what you say. That's what you hear. And there's nobody that can tell you otherwise because you won't let them because you have determined, you've set yourself up as God. You have said, I know what this is. How dare you? We don't let God in either. We say, God, you can have all of me, just not this closet. Because you won't love me anymore if you see what's behind it. So you create your own religion. My Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, if any of you ever come up to me and say, my Jesus, I, I, I just, I can't handle that. Like, there's one. There's not, like, different versions. There's not, like, Dunkin' Donuts. I have a jelly-filled Jesus, and you have a cream, I don't know, cream cheese. There's my Jesus. What are you talking about? Just say Jesus. Sorry. When you say that to someone else, it's always a defense. My Jesus doesn't say that. Oh, well, let's go see what the Jesus says. So you create this, and some of you in this room do this, and it doesn't mean you're not a true believer. It means in moments, rather than let him come in, you tell everyone and made this little puppet that says, it's okay. And we're like, that's not what Jesus said. He's in the other room. Yes, this is him. Don't come in my closet. It's a puppet. Get it? We don't let God either. And there are times that these doors, listen, have been shut so long that we forget they're there. Oof. Oh, our homes and our lives are still affected by what's in those closets. There's a smell, right? I mean, using the analogy here. There's darkness in there. Sometimes there's stuff kind of peeking under. It makes the house look a little dirty, so you set like a, a potted plant in front of it, and then it just looks weird. Why is there a potted plant here, right? There's these things in our lives that don't make sense, and we're like, why? We get affected by it even if we've forgotten it. We don't have room for other things. We don't have room for other relationships. We have an anxiety and fear, and we don't even remember where it comes from, and we get snappy when people get close to these rooms, but we don't even know why anymore. And so we blame the person for asking what's behind the door. How dare you? You demonize the person asking, right? Don't they know? That hurts me. We blame God. That's why you make your own. 
because your own is the one that feels better because you, you know, it's what you feel. But the true God, we blame him. We blame him that we're still hurt, that we're still anxious. We blame him for the fact that we don't have the life he promised. We blame him that we don't have close friends or relationships. It's his fault. It's their fault. It's everybody's fault but mine. We treat these rooms and these places where we hide our shame and our sin and our brokenness, this darkness we don't want to face. We treat them like dark rooms. You know what a dark room is in photography? I love teaching this. You'll, be, you'll love this, Jack. This will get you so excited. <laughs> Don't look at his face, though. It won't show it, but he's going to be excited inside. A dark room, right? It's where they develop pictures. And they have red lights, typically, which in my mind, they just walk around in the dark. But turns out, as I have learned, uh, primarily also through these pictures we looked at, there is a red light, which I did my research, because that's safe. Because if you let true light in, it will ruin the pictures. It will ruin them. That's how we treat these closets. We lie to ourselves and say, yeah, these are dark rooms. What does that mean? Well, the pictures get ruined for the lighting. What do you mean? We treat these places like dark rooms in that if we let the light in, it will destroy us. This is one of those times that, that it's, this is not an opinion. I'll, I'll, you can call me arrogant because many times you do anyway, so I'll just be arrogant right now. This is a fact. You have them. If you're in the room today and you say, yeah, other people really have those dark rooms, you have already proven you got one. Notice I didn't say it's always a sin. Well, I don't have any sin. Okay. Do you have places, things that were done to you that you refuse to let people walk into and look into? Because it'll hurt? Because they'll treat me the same as everyone else? We tend to treat these places like dark rooms. Now, here's the thing. If we let the light in, it's going to destroy us. So here's what we have to ask ourselves. What does God think of these dark rooms in our life? What does God think of these dark and ugly places that are too ugly for us to look at, too ugly to let other people look at, and honestly, it's too ugly for him to look at? What does he think about them? If you have your Bible, so I'm going to read a big section. I know. I know. This is where the squirt gun would come in handy. I shoot you a squirt gun every couple verses. You're paying attention. Right? This is the Clint. The Clint's taught me about this goldfish theory. You can only pay attention for five seconds or something. Did you know that? That's what uh, marketers think about you. But I believe in you. I think you can do 10. Right? So, not you, Corey. All right. <clears throat> Context here. Jesus is doing his thing. And, and I'm not going to, it doesn't matter historically for you right now, but He's, he's heading to Jerusalem, right, eventually, and he's been traveling around. And long as they say, hey, we're going to get to here. And he goes, hey, let's go the long way. And they're like, why in the world? You know, he, again, we always are like, man, those dumb, those dumb apostles. Guys, I know you. Just in case you need to know, at your best, you're Peter, right? <laughs> That's just the truth. And I'm, I'm, my hand's raised for that. I'm the same. So anyway, as they go through there, they're also going through a place where there are Samaritans. Samaritans, I'm going to use this term not because I believe it, because they did. They were mongrels. They had intermixed. They had done what God said not to do. So even though they were Jewish in their faith, right, the Jews said, the Israelites said, no, you are not like us. And so they both ended up having their own place where they said the, the temple should be built. So it's an odd situation, which, P.S., is why you can understand when it says the Samaritan... Uh, you know, the good Samaritan. That's why it's such a powerful story. They wouldn't want to touch them. Anyway, so Jesus is walking on. His apostles are off doing their own thing, getting some food. He's like, why don't you go get some food? I'm kind of hungry. And then he goes, and this is where we're at, starting at uh, John chapter 4, starting at verse 6. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, asked the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well's deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? Mm-hmm, right? You know that look you girls give when you're trying to make us feel small. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks from this water will never get thirsty again. From this water will get thirsty again. But whomever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water, springing up from within him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. Ah, you've answered correctly. I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. What kind of people? People who worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Some of you want to worship in spirit but not in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I am he, Jesus told her, the one speaking to you. Jump down to 28. Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the men, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Incredible thing happens here to this woman, too. That whole town essentially comes to to know Christ, to, to see him and have miracles worked. Jesus comes in and starts a dialogue with this woman that she does not want and is surprised by. Listen, make no mistake, she ain't a fan of Jews either, right? It goes both ways. And this guy sits down also, just so you know, gentlemen, you don't typically, women, you wouldn't, a good Jewish man is not going to talk to a woman by himself in the middle of the day, really ever. So he would have shocked her in many ways, sits down, looks at her, surprises her, and then She didn't want to have it. How do I know? He just says, hey, can you give me some water? Excuse one, I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jew. Leave me alone. I'm I'm paraphrasing. And he says, oh, okay, yeah. All right, let's go through it. He said, if you only knew the gift of God and who's saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him to give you living water. Deflection two, you don't even have a bucket. (laughs) I can't do it right. Mm -hmm. You know that look you ladies give? I hate this one because it's like, Look, why you look us up and down while you're sneering? Like, taking our measure and going, you're gross, right? Like, you don't have to do that. You could just say no. <laughs> Deflection. She says, are you greater than Jacob? Who do you, and let me paraphrase. Who do you think you are to say that to me? Then Jesus 
goes for the sin and goes for the brokenness. He exposes her. He says, go call your husband. When she eventually says, I'll take some water. Calling his bluff. I, don't, I still don't think she really believes him. I think she's like, yeah, okay, buddy. Go call your husband. That sounds cruel. Before You're all like, Jesus is great. Nah. If one of you in here has been divorced or married and somebody comes up and goes, go call your first husband. And then come back. You would feel like that's the cruelest man in the world. Go call your husband. I don't have a husband. You're correct. You do not have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the guy you're living with now, not your husband. Sounds cruel. But he was bringing light into the dark places. He was exposing them. But do you want to know the reason? Who wants to know the reason? Raise your hand if you want to know the reason. Let's see if the real reason is, is this. You've got to think of it her way. Remember, he's a Jew and he's a man, some kind of rabbi. They can tell, right, the way he talks. I know about your sin and I'm still sitting here talking to you. I know about your sin and I'm still talking about God. I know about that dark place that you think is, is so dirty and wrong, and I'm still sitting here offering you living water. I want you to know that I see you. I see your hurt. Because if I know that, then I know the times you cried about it. If I know that, I know the reasons you kept running from God to guy. If I know that, I know every moment. Everything you had to do, you didn't want to do. I was there, and I know it, and I'm still sitting here. Expose the light. Expose it to the light. And even then, she says, oh, well, no, I think she's getting uncomfortable. Uh, well, hey, you know, you sound like a prophet. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? If you're a true prophet, a true good Jew, you would know that we are not the same. I believe this, you believe that. Get away from me. Nah. He said, you don't get it. There's, it doesn't matter where you worship. And then she says, we're different. Stop, right? It's pretty much what she's saying. Stop. And then Jesus speaks the truth. He says, I am this Messiah. I am the, I am the Christ. And now, remember what I told you earlier, the reason was. The Messiah you're waiting for. The, the Messiah your people are waiting for. The Savior you've been waiting for is right here, right now, talking to you, a sinful, broken woman. I still see you, and I came to you. Let that sink in. You live in a modern world where even at our worst, maybe in the church today, people are snotty and they judge people, but they don't do it outwardly because it doesn't match Jesus' words. It doesn't make it better. Back then, they would have outwardly said what she was, and it's not a good word. And yet, the Messiah, the Christ, came to this woman by herself before he did his real first public, like, this is who I am. He chose her. Now, that's a beautiful story in of itself, but it's important for you to understand that he had to know, let her know he knew the sin, the broken places, the dark room, so that when he revealed himself, there is a healing that happens in saying, what do you mean you're still talking to me? What do you mean you're still offering me living water? What do you mean you still want to be here? Don't you see what I am? I just told you I know what you are, and I'm still here. And then the healing came. How do I know? She runs away. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. I think it's the Messiah. If she felt shame, she wouldn't go tell him that. She felt relief. 
She, she felt peace. She felt joy because she had been seen for everything she is and still loved. What if she ran away? What if she said, that's too much for me, right? This is toxic, right? And I'm using words. This isn't aimed at any one person. This is all of us. And those are real things. This is traumatic. I don't want to go here. I don't want to talk about this. You're judging me. Bob, the guy on the street, the other priest said that that doesn't matter. Blah, 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 blah. He would, she would have missed the healing and missed the message. Because there's no way this woman sitting at a well was going to think when a guy asked for water that the Messiah was about to heal her heart. There's no way. So though she questioned... And though she pushed back, she still stayed there and sat there. The bottom line truth is many of you in this room wouldn't, even knowing who Jesus is. Because it wouldn't fit your puppet Jesus. Puppet Jesus doesn't make me sad. Puppet Jesus doesn't make me uncomfortable. Puppet Jesus doesn't go into my dark rooms. Puppet Jesus doesn't expose me to light. Jesus doesn't, my Jesus doesn't do that. And that's exactly why you still have a dark room and why it's never been healed. Because the truth is, you never answered him. Do you want to be healed? Because you'd rather feel safe and wounded than be hurt to be healed. What if she had run away? What if she said, you're cruel, I'm done, I can't handle this? So how does Jesus, how does God treat our dark rooms? I told you that was my question. Remember during the intro part? That's the question. I'm giving you the answer. How does he treat it? Well, we see it here. God wants to go into those dark places we don't want exposed to the light. And here's the craziest part. He will often, I will say always, go for those places first. <laughs> Jesus is the one that comes into your house and says, oh, it's a nice house. What's in there? Immediately. Let's go to the dining room. No, no, I'm really interested in this closet. Now, here's the thing. Many times, why this message impacted me, right? This, this truth, I don't say message, this has impacted me, whether it's you or not, is the comfortable with God healing. So sometimes when I see, like, it, please keep nodding. Those are awesome. I need the encouragement to know you're listening. I'm not kidding. It makes me very happy. But sometimes I want to know, I just need your affirmation. I just want to know, right? Do you, what about the ones you don't? Who gets to determine what Jesus is asking about? Do you? No, Jesus is talking to me. Well, it's funny because in his word he says things like this, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. Ooh. Um, me and Jesus are good. Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus wouldn't ask you to come to me. Oh, my goodness. That's probably one of my most frustrating things. You know, when you're, you're even if you're trying to speak to someone's hurts and they say, uh, trust me. I'm like, well, hey, why don't you pray about it? I've prayed, and me and God are good about it. No, you're not. Because it doesn't stand up against the truth of God's word. It doesn't matter what Dr. Phil says. It doesn't matter. That doesn't mean that counseling is not useful, but what is counseling? What is it if it's not opening the room? Opening the closet. So you'd rather go to a stranger than your brother or sister? Don't you understand now the section in Scripture? If we just read this, men, if you're in, ladies, you're in 1 Corinthians 2, where it says, hey, you guys are literally going to these non-believing judges to settle your issues, and you're, you would rather go there first than, than talk to them, than talk to your brothers and sisters. Why? I, I already know the answer. 
pride and fear. Those are the only two reasons. Mm-mm, Todd, mm-hmm. It's pride and it's fear. Now, before you say, Todd, why are you preaching anger? I'm not. I'm preaching like I'm heartbroken because you, some of you in this room, I'm talking to your snottiness because that's your potted plant. You got a Venus flytrap there ready to bite my hand off if I go near it, and you justify it. And the sad truth is you think I'm mad at you. I'm not. I promise you, I have a lot of flaws. I'm mad in the moment that you're trying to punch me. But that's not it. I go home, and when you walk away, I say, man, it breaks my heart because I know you sit in your bed looking at the ceiling and cry. I know you do. I know you cry on the, in your car. Man, no, I don't cry. Yes, you do. Yours might just look like a bottle or a flickering computer screen. And all the while, God's just saying, do you want to be healed? Because the excuses you give your brothers and sisters are the same excuses you're giving him. Because he's using them. He is. No, not every time. And if you're already thinking of all the times it's not true, you're missing the point of this. He wants to. God always goes for these places first. Why? Listen, this is a, why does he go to those places first? It's not what you think. It's not to shame you. It's not to embarrass you. It's not to condemn you. How do I know that? Because his word says that there is no condemnation in Christ. God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. He doesn't do it to shame, to hurt, to break you down. Sometimes that's what it feels like, isn't it? You ever heard that phrase, God broke me, it happened to me. It's happened to me multiple times, and I hate that because I'm so stubborn. But you know what I always tell people, and the worst part about it is I complain, but I got to sit here and say, I know that was his last resort. Even if it was the first one, he knew. He doesn't start with, with the whip. He doesn't start, right? That's not where he starts. So if it's not to shame, it's not to hurt, it's not to embarrass, it's not to condemn, what is it? It's to expose, it's to forgive, and it's to heal. Guys, it's not a game. It's not a religion. This is not make you, you know, I'm not saying this to even make you feel good, though it should. I'm telling you this because it's the truth of who God is. That he wants to forgive you and to heal you. And in order to do that, he has to break your illusion that if I bring my light into your dark room, it's going to destroy you. When the truth is, in my healing light, I will fix this. He says it himself, right? I'm going to butcher it, but essentially the dark hates the light. Jesus says, I'm the light. And he goes on to say, you know, the people hate, those who love the darkness hate the light because it exposes their evil deeds. It's heartbreaking that God's people, after having their evil deeds forgiven already by putting their faith in Jesus, would continue to hide things as though he does not know. When the truth is, you're just an invalid sitting there for 38 years with him standing there continuously going, do you want to be healed? It's like he's constantly asking that same question. Do you want to be healed? And I'm going to tell you something. Listen, why do you have to ask it? Because the truth is, and then he did it for this guy, and he will do it for you because he will finish the good work he started in you. It's just a lot easier if you open the door. We struggle. We don't really want to be healed 
if it means it has to be revealed. I mean that. Because I think you have faith. You're saying, I can still heal it. I don't need to open that door. He can. He could. He's not going to. He doesn't force our hand. It's his craziest thing, right? The truth is you don't want to look in the mirror of Jesus. You don't want the light because in the mirror of Jesus, you don't want to see yourself because then you finally have to look at yourself and you think in Jesus' eyes you're going to see yourself or he's going to see you the way you see yourself. Broken, hurt, shameful, monster, vile, all the things that you tell yourself. Unfixable angry, bitter, all the lies that come in your heart. So we create walls of, and defenses of arrogance and anger and mistrust and jokes to keep people out of the places where we hide our shame and our fear and our brokenness. We self-sabotage and we self-justify and all the while talking about Jesus and worshiping his name and saying, why am I not getting healed? And it's really simple. You're, we're not getting healed because we won't get out of the way and let him go into the door. scared to death of them. I am not arrived. I don't think I need to tell you that, but I will. I struggle with fate and, and doubt. Some people that have come know, like, you know, and I, the hardest thing for me is not self-hatred sometimes, because I do, it's funny, he's cleaned it out. He's cleaned it out. Some of my dark places, probably not all of them. I know not all of them, but some of them. And I still feel ashamed, even though it's healed, he knows, and I'm still ashamed because you guys, I know him and I are good. And that's what I, where I'm leading to. Some people say, well, Todd, how do you keep doing this when people question you or hate you or get mad at you for telling the truth? And, and the bottom line is it's because it's real and I've seen it. And it comes a time when, I, when, you, when a door is forced open and the whole world has to see your dark place that you come to realize that the only one that really matters is Jesus. But I don't think it had to be that way for me. I think if I would have listened to his word, done what his, his word tells me to do, if I would have trusted that when the light comes in here, it's not going to be bad, it wouldn't have had to be as bad as it was. In my case, it was sin. There's areas in my life that were dark rooms that were things done to me that I'm still not healed from. Any strength of faith I have has come from watching him do what he does and walking through it. And some of you, oh, man, you're sitting at the pool, and he just, and you're content for what, two, three, four, five, 10, 20, 30, 40 years? There are people that go to their deathbed sitting at the pool, and, and they'll get to go home because they've already put their faith. Jesus won't ever leave them, even if they don't, but they missed out on a whole lot of miracles and a whole lot of life. And the freedom that comes from knowing that my relationship with God is, he already knows what's behind the door. <laughs> well, I believe that, Todd. Do you confess your sins to one another and you will be healed? The prayers of a righteous man are powerful indeed. That's in the Bible. Why do you think he says that? Why do you think he says, I've been saying this a lot lately, right? L.A. and Lionheart. And if you're watching, those are intense accountability groups here at this church. Why do I have to say that to people? Because you don't want to. I didn't write that verse do I think we got to confess every single thing that we've ever done to each other? That's weird, right? But why does God say that, that you will be healed? Clearly we're forgiven from him, right? I don't get forgiven from telling you some of my stuff. 
It's the shame. Because even though I know the truth, we need people around us to remind us of that. But you don't need that, right? Because you and your Jesus are good. It doesn't matter if you change one verse. It doesn't matter if you change one trait. If you change one verse or one trait, it's not Jesus. I'm going to say that again. If you ignore one verse, one trait, it is not the Jesus of the Bible. Now, you don't have to like it, and you can struggle with it, and you can wrestle with it, but don't you dare say it's not true because then you're not following him. Confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. This isn't to shame you either. Why? Because we need help carrying those burdens. The reason we don't want to share is in the world, people don't do that. When things are exposed, TMZ, right? We destroy lives. We don't heal them. In God's church, it's flipped. You understand why the kingdom is completely different than the world? In God's church, when you confess, you get your burdens carried with you. You get walked with, loved on, restored, and healed. In the world, it's different. But we let the world train us instead of God's word train us. You see what I'm saying? It's flipped. It really is flipped. We do live in a world where, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to get, what is that called? Banned if I say this. So um, certain medical things that people want to know in sports, if someone doesn't tell them that this certain medical thing has or has not happened to them, then they get torched all over the media, even if it's not, maybe they did have this medical thing happen. Maybe they did have this treatment. They just don't want to have to tell the whole world. Well, then we're going to destroy them. Just happened with a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. All he said was like, hey, I don't need to answer that because that's my right. Isn't that nuts? And no wonder we live that way. It's going to feel different and weird. Confess your sins and one another, you'll be healed. That's not the shame. It's because we need help carrying those burdens. Listen, this is so important. There is never, ever, 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 that's a long time, any condemnation in Christ. In, right, the arms of Jesus, in God's house when it's doing and following him, the true church of Jesus Christ, his people, his body, there is never condemnation. Condemnation says there is no hope, there is no chance for change. That's not Jesus. The Bible says it. There is no condemnation in Jesus ever, and there shouldn't be in his church either. The, the culture we've created, and we meaning church with a big C, is disgusting and shameful because it says hide your, sh hide your sin, hide your rough spots, hide your shame, because if not, we will shame and condemn you so that you'll start to believe that self-condemnation you're already feeling. You've heard it before. Just keep your mask on. As long as you don't ask me what's under mine, I want to ask you what's under yours, and we all can pretend to be happy. This is not the way of God towards his people. It's not. You know, I often say that there needs to be a culture shift in Christianity, and everybody's like, oh, every church says that. They probably do, but I don't know if they're meaning what I'm meaning. A real culture shift, a strangeness. It's strange to come up to a brother in Christ and say, hey, man, i got to tell you something. Whatever it is I did. That ter that's terrifying. I wasn't raised that way. I, to this day, I struggle coming up and asking you what's going on in your life because my family, we're from the South. It's like, hey, man, each their own. Stay out of their business. They stay out of yours. That's how life goes. That's not God. It's not the way. We have to have a culture that's safe to share and confess, and you must be willing to trust God and trust others so you can truly be free of that shame, that guilt, and that fear. God loves you. Let him love you. Let him in the room. 
hating true brothers and sisters that are just trying to love you. Yes, they're flawed, and they may not always do it perfect, but that's not your job to determine. I'm so passionate because it's still ridiculous, but I get it. I don't trust well either, but at least I can admit it. I'm not sitting here telling you that you're all bad people, and that's why I'm not telling you. You're all bad. I'm sad. I'm too sad to open the door. I'm too angry to open the door. It's too traumatic behind the door. Too anxious to open the door. Nope, can't do it. I'll do it tomorrow. You've been saying that for 38 years. I'll do it next Tuesday. I'll do it when this guy says. I'll do it when God tells me. Hmm, weird. You're at this sermon. (laughs) Todd's singling me out. No, that would be God. I don't say that angrily. It breaks my heart. Some of you would literally rather punch someone in the face than let them hug you. I mean that symbolically in some cases, literally. God wants those places. He already knows. And before you say, oh, I know he knows. No, you don't because stay with me. This is deep. I know you know everything because you've been in church a long time and heard every sermon in the world. I know. I don't know why you keep coming. You just have sermon with you in your head. Listen. He's never going to condemn you. Why does he want us to, why does he want in those rooms? He didn't say it was going to be easy. He wants to heal it. So yeah, I get frustrated. Imagine seeing someone you care about with a big knife in their leg and you try to pull it out and you're like, there ain't no knife in my leg. I don't know why they sound that way, but anyway. (laughs) Right? Or they can't pay attention for four seconds. Guys, it's all part of it, man. You see God's people just sitting around like not grasping what we really are called to. And I'm guilty of this. I let people tell me, right? I let people tell me that God didn't mean what he means. People, because they claim his name, even if the masses claim his name and it doesn't go with his word and I let that affect me, what am I doing? He told me the way is narrow. You think this is easy for you? It's supposed to be easy for us? If it was easy, the world would do it. We are so afraid to be exposed when we already are. You want to change a culture in Christianity where you're free to confess sin? It's such a surreal thing. Someone comes. I've always thought this. I even remember like right first becoming Christian. So someone comes and confesses a sin, let's say to me, and it's a big one. Okay? They confess it. They didn't have to, and they confess it. And I immediately go, okay, well, I'll get with you tomorrow about your disciplinary hearing. What? Are you even hearing this, how insane this is, and then we wonder why people don't want to talk? What does Jesus say? If your brother sins, restore him with a gentle spirit. That means they, in this case, they're coming up and like, hey, I messed up, and they don't, they don't fight it. They admit you rejo- like, There's no... Now, yeah, there's a process when someone is unrepentant. But even then, we want to change the culture. Some, maybe some of you are in here and maybe you're all going, man, I would love to feel free to let God in those places and let God, by the way, God doesn't always speak to you through a burning bush. He might speak to you, speak to you through Barbara or Bob or Todd 
or Andy or James or Suze. But nope, nope, the only ones of those I trust is Suze, right? Or the only one I trust is Todd. Come on. Is he almighty or is he not? So if he is, he's going to do things that make you uncomfortable. Just because they're uncomfortable is not the gauge of whether it's healthy. God wants to heal us. And not just our own sins. Listen, it boils down to our sins, the sins that have been done to us, right? That's really the bottom line. And then hurts and shame and, man. I almost, gave us, I almost had us watch a video of a fox in a fox trap, and someone was trying to let it out, and it was biting him, but then I was like, it's too much. It's like screaming. And, but the point is, when the guy's trying to help the fox out, it's biting him, right? That's us. If we want to change the culture in Christianity, whether you stay here, this is your church, or the last time I ever talked to you, if you are a believer in this room, you really want to change it, you want to, to, to create a culture like that, then you've got to start being willing to be vulnerable yourself. Jesus doesn't do partial healings. Even the dude with the mud on his eye three times, at the end of the day, he could see. And Jesus is not going to be content with a partial healing of you. She's going to come play some music. Um, I'll stop. I forgot my list. My bad. Um, I got a list for you. I'm going to give you some steps. Todd, this is a lot of stuff. What do you want me to take from this? I'll tell you in a second. The main thing is don't be afraid. Let your brothers and sisters love you. Let God love you. Trust his word. And listen, sometimes the world's going to punish you for it. They are. There are times I've, we, we see people do the right thing, confess sin, and they get destroyed for it. That doesn't mean God destroyed them. And let me tell you something. It doesn't mean that God's done with them either. Because God will not take that faith, right? And you've heard the phrase, return it void, right? No, he's not going to do that. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but he will do it. The craziest thing, I, I, I reference my story a lot because it's nuts, man. I, I shouldn't be here. <laughs> and no, it'll never be, you know. I was told that, the, you know, the 25 years ministry, the ministry has never been bigger than it was before someone messed up. And God said, oh, really? Right? Ironic, Corey and Sue's right. We're down to that much, and what did he do? We're in a building. Hmm, weird. I guess he doesn't care about statistics. Right? God does what he wants to do. That's not just me. I did walk it out, but I had a, a community of people around me that walked it out too, that believed and invested in me. That's, that's what it's about. God doesn't want to shame you or condemn you. He wants to heal you. But are you going to let go? Are you going to let go of your pride, your snottiness, your anger, your frustration? Are you going to let go of, of the, the how dare yous? Are you going to let, are you going to let those go? And it's okay to even sometimes say, like, okay, <laughs> this might be me. All right, Corey, I get to say your name a lot. I'm, I'm going to let you in my door, man, but I need a little time, okay? One, two, three, and you say three, and I wait. I'm like, I'm really going to do it. Just count three again. It's okay that it takes a little bit. But when you say, how dare you, mm. Because then the reason I get so frustrated is you're creating that culture still. So, <sighs> list names, they're very difficult. You ready? Letting the light in. You like that? Letting the light in. Corey, that one's for you, buddy. Letting the light in. Letting the light in. Number one, remember who God really is. Remember God's goal. God's goal. I just told you what, if God's goal 
is to always work out all things for the good of those who believe according to his purposes. If God's goal is to always heal, restore, and make us who we're supposed to be, then no matter how scary and painful it is, the ending's going to be good. Right? Number two, release the fear. This one's hard. You want to know the only way you can release fear? Do the thing. I'm serious. The only way you get over the fear of jumping out of a plane, you got to jump out of the plane. I can stand up here all day and go, I'm floating. Right? That doesn't, that's, not, that's not it. When I get on the plane, I'm still going to be afraid. I have to at some point decide to let go of the fear. You have to let go of the fear. So I'm going to say it. Do the thing. What's the thing? I don't know. You tell me. Is it not? Maybe step one's acknowledging there's, there's an issue. Maybe it's, I'm going to tell you this step, but release the fear. Because some of you haven't even talked to God about this because you don't want to admit it about yourself. It's pretty hard to look to God even and go, man, I am arrogant, right? That, okay, I'll use me. I have such a heart to fight Pharisees. <laughs> I did. I had a heart to fight Pharisees, even when we started this church. In the midst of it, I had, you want to know, I've said this a billion times. Todd, when I sinned and destroyed my life once, a guy said, I don't even like the guy anymore, but he said to me, he goes, hey, Todd, the only thing you're kind he did for me during this. I don't even think he's being kind. I'm still tearing him apart. My bad. He says to me, hey, beyond what your actions were, what was your greatest sin in all this? And I, took, and I thought about this. Now, remember, I'm the Pharisee killer in my mind. So I'm sitting in front of my old apartment, the one that blew up. You guys know it. And, uh, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden I saw it in my head, that God on his throne, right, and the remnants, his people, right? There's a lot of people, but this little pack of people. And I was standing in front of him. And I was saying, look at me, look at me. I had become the very thing I hated. I had become pharisaical. I was the one whom he would have said, do what he says, not what he does. That's hard to admit. But in the admission came healing. I wasn't aware of that. I didn't know that. I wasn't living my life hypocritically in my mind. But that's the truth of it, right? So what's your thing maybe? Release the fear. Number three, who I gotta move, I gotta move. I got a lot to do today. Confess to your father. I had God and I erased it because you need to remember he's your good, good father. So the first thing you need to do, guys, if you can think of those things, and by the way, I can tell by your faces at the beginning when I still had you before the goldfish effect came, that dark room is what you need to talk to God about. Talk to him first. But you don't get to stay there. You don't. Sometimes, you know, some, but, but a lot of times, if it's the dark room, it's probably not. Sometimes it's just a sin, right? I mean, I, got, I, I, kick, I, don't know, I, I kick the kitchen table over in the house, right? And God's like, did you kick the kitchen table over? Yeah, Lord, I'm sorry. All right, cool. Let's just fix it. But when it comes to those deeply rooted ones that have been in there a while, we might have to go to this. Step four, and this is the truth. Let the light in. Share with someone. Todd, that's not in the Bible. Yes, it is. I just told you, confess your sins, one, with one, confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. Galatians 6, 2, carry each other's burdens, and then you, this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Did you know the context of that is, is when someone sins? I never told you guys that. Go look it up, beginning of Galatians. Now, he does give a warning. Hey, be careful while you're helping him carry it so you don't get sucked into it too, right? I'm not going to try the cocaine while I'm trying to help you get off the cocaine. And then we're both on cocaine. Cocaine on my brain. <laughs> I haven't really taken cocaine. All right, share with someone. Number five, Pray. Well, I already did. I know. Do it again. Talk to God about how much it hurts. Tell him all those things that are coming out, how bad, you know, I can't do this anymore. Talk to him. Cast all your anxieties on him, the Bible says, for he cares for you. 
That's real. Number six, once that's done, however long that process is going to take, let it go. If I let, I'm telling you, even I do sometimes still, I'm not going to lie, but if I let everything I do every day be affected by the people who don't believe that I let the light in, then I wouldn't do anything. (laughs) You notice I didn't say share with everyone. Share with someone. I did, my spouse. No, someone else. Well, that's a good spot sometimes. So you're gonna come play some music now. And I'm gonna ask you this. You know, Jesus said, do you wanna be healed, right? Do you wanna be healed? So I'm gonna ask you this. Do you wanna be healed? Well, do you? Do you want to be healed? No more games, no more excuses. Do you want to be healed? I don't know what it looks like. I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that the healing is gonna be exactly what you thought. But do you wanna be healed? Or do you wanna stay in the dark, not letting people into those closets, directing people and distracting them from those areas, all the while crying alone at night because you can't stand yourself? You feel crushed under the weight of your own self-condemnation. I just told you the only place to go for no condemnation is to Christ. No games, no stories, nothing else. I want you to know this. If you're in this room today and you've put your faith in Christ, you're a Christian and you know it. This is the single greatest truth. And I even had a guy, you know, we shared, they, I don't tell them to do this. They share these quotes of mine. It's very humbling. And God uses it. People like it. But someone on there said, oh, you know, the one, the greatest gift, I'm going to butcher my own quote. The greatest gift of the gospel is you can't lose it, right? And some guy wrote on there, oh, that's true. You, I mean, you can't lose it because you didn't earn it. And he goes, that's true. You didn't earn it, but you can lose it. Man. <laughs> I just shared some scripture that says otherwise. Because it's hard to believe that there's a God out there, that God can be like that. But he is. And if you're in this room and you're a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus, then he knew, he already knows about the dark room. He even knew about the one that came after you came to know him. And he's still saying the same thing he said that first day. You said, yes, Jesus, I accept you. Do you want to be healed? God so loved the world that he gave his only son whoever puts their right, faith in him. Live everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. <laughs> that's it. By the way, that's the gospel. I should stop there. That's it. So, if you're in this room today and you're one of two people, things, I'll say her name, Gina said one time, she's like, hey, this altar's open, right? Come up and pray. She takes advantage of it. But I'll also say there's people here too. And sometimes God wants us to go to the people. And if the only place we'll ever go to is to, to is the altar, because they're at the altar too. If, if that's the only place you'll go, you have to ask yourself this. I'm never going to judge you because I don't know why. Oh, because he will forgive me and love me. He knows my heart. That's true. Sometimes that's the only way to bring healing. So that you can see that when someone, when you open your closet and they're going to do this, they're going to go, me too. I thought I was the only one. Is that you? Are you honest? Are you the one that's snapping and bitter? Are you the arrogant one? Are you the one that's frustrating? Are you the one that, that pushes people away? You so desperately want to be loved by people even, but you say no. 
I'm going to keep up this charade. I wonder why people don't want to spend time in my house. Your house is this maze of cluttered things where you only let us go certain places. This is a safe place. It's God's place. So if you're in this room today and you're struggling with something, I'm not even telling you you got to say it necessarily. I don't know. But you know maybe the first step is just to go and say, hey, i got a dark room. It's tearing me up. To hear someone carry your burdens and pray for you. They're going to be up here willing to pray for you. I'm wandering around aimlessly in the dark. You come find me, I'll pray with you. I still do it sometimes. You probably see me. I'll come up here and I'll say, hey, this is what I've done and where I'm at. I'm struggling with that same room. <laughs> Dang it. If you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, you just heard me tell you the gospel. Everything's broken. God made it good. I don't, it don't matter. This world's on fire. He didn't start it on fire. We did. And God says, I have a way out. I have a way home. I have a way that you can be with me again because you have sinned. You don't deserve it. You've done bad things. You can't be holy enough to be with me, but you have to be perfectly holy to be with me. So we're in a bit of a problem. We're in, we're in trouble. You have a penalty waiting for you. It don't matter what you believe. That's the crazy part. I don't believe that. doesn't matter. I don't believe in gravity. I'm still sitting here. Standing, whatever. Um, so we made a mess. God made everything. And he said, you know, in the midst of that, the Bible says that we're storing up wrath for ourselves because sin leads to death. There's a penalty. So what happened? Jesus Christ, Son of God, God made man, came down, taught us all this really cool stuff how much he loves us and what it's supposed to be like. And that's kind of what almost be torture. He's like, listen, I'm going to come back someday. I'm going to take my people. And there's this place that's amazing, and I'm going to fix it. And my people get to live in it. But my people are holy, and they're good, and they're sinless. And that's almost cruel, isn't it? But then he says, I'm going to show you. I'm going to turn you into one of those. How does he do it? On the cross, Jesus of Nazareth died for your sins and mine, for all those shames, for all the dark rooms, for all the mistakes. He took your dark room so you can have his clean house. And you will be judged, not on his, not on your, I'm sorry, not on your dark rooms, but on his clean house. And it never goes away. Isn't that crazy? So how do you get it? Well, the Bible says, if you confess through the lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. The admission of Lord means I sinned. I need to stop doing things my way and I need to do them your way. I don't know how, but I'm willing if you're willing to say that, believe it. And I have all the answers. If you're willing to do it today, you can be saved forever, that you can have your dark rooms no longer. He will take them. He'll begin the process of healing you. Don't leave today. I got saved at a place way cooler than this, but it was the same kind of thing. A bunch of people, right? Some, it's not you, it's me. That's me and the guy speaking. Everybody's like, dude, we're cool. Yeah, I meant the speaker. Listen, at the end of the day, he raised his hand. Yeah, he tricked me, right? But my life has been changed. So either one of those two people, you fit in one of them. This time you're going to have the next five minutes. Todd, it's so long. I know. We'll try to keep it five unless you all respond. But whatever it is, it's not to shame you. It's not because I get a cookie for every person that comes for prayer. It's because I want you to be healed. All right? Whatever you do today, don't, don't stay in the dark. Right? Let God expose it to his light. And don't leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.